0: Today we uh, continue on in our Thrive series, it's thriving, uh, thriving in the day that we live, how to have a flourishing faith in the day that we live. Uh, there's, a, there's a new term that I'm coming across just recently um, that I think really describes so much of the trends that are there, and it's a term that, that people that study the generations um, and what characterizes them, and it's called... This is the day of the neo-barbarians. Can you believe that? The neo-barbarians. And what that means is um, every every age has its characteristics. Uh, Prior to maybe 1990, from the middle 1700s to the 1990s, is what was called the age of modernism. And that's when scientific thought, That's when it prevailed, and we saw so many of the great engineering achievements, but what happened uh, because of not scientific thought, but what is known as scientism, that's making an idol out of of science itself, but scientism came to the point where they said that because they arrived at this, that there is no God because God can't be quantified. He can't be measured, so scientism declared that, and that that scientism has crept into much, uh, much of the uh, scientific community. Not all of it, thank God, but uh, the great achievements in medicine, and 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 the sciences. Uh, and then, about in the nineties, we started to hear this term postmodernism. How many have heard of the term postmodernism? Yeah, and postmodernism was a trend more towards uh, community. Uh, more towards the rejection of one truth, uh, more towards a, a shared feeling uh, of intimacy with a group of friends that if it works for, for me that, and if it works for you, that's fine. There's no one ultimate authority. But what is known as the, the neo-barbarians, they are characterized by this. Listen, characterized Differently than the moderns, the moderns tend to be thinkers. The neo-barbarians are characterized by mostly non-thinking but feeling. Non-thinking but feeling and being uh, reactive and defensive. And so if you just put that filter on what you hear in the media, you'll be able to see this this just absolutely becomes to, to... you can see where where that's going but along with that the whole neo barbarianism is this that it is there is there there it is not a rejection of god it is no revelation of god not even a god to reject it's not on the horizon and it's living as though God does not exist. And uh, it's, wow, it's quite a, state, a statement. And I, I watch some of the people that are grabbing headlines in the news now and darlings of the media, and I said, you know what? That describes them. No thought about decisions, but it's feeling. It's not, it's not, uh, um, it, it's not being informed as to whether the sources are true, correct or not, it does it feed into what I think the world is all about? And so it's really quite a challenge for us. But the good news is this, that the church of Jesus Christ in every generation, in spite of what's going on about them, God, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's a truth. And, and what he has for us uh, Paul wrote about in the book of Thessalonians, first and Second Thessalonians, as he wrote to this church that existed in, in some of the same characteristics of what we find ourselves in today. and they were experiencing marginalization and even persecution because of their faith and their strongly held belief that there is one Lord, one God, one Savior, one Jesus Christ, and he is sovereign and Lord of all and King of kings. And Paul writes to them, and as he writes to them, he commends them. It's in a form called Ancient Letters of Friendship. And he follows sort of this form, Ancient Letters of Friendship, where it's warm and it's intimate, and that's how he writes to the church at Thessalonica. And what he says is this, he said that, um, we came, and we modeled for you, but he commended them for also doing this and so the letter to the Thessalonians is this it, it is both a great encouragement to us, but it 's also a challenge to us and I want to share some of those things with you today as we unpack this the second chapter first thessalonians um, today uh you know, it is Saint Patrick's Day, but it's also a bittersweet day for me because so many of our young adults, as I mentioned, they head back to school. Uh, I do recall when I was at college and university, I came home for a number of reasons, almost values. I mean, they, but they were such such the product of such deep thinking. Why I came home for food, for money for laundry to see my friends and i come home for family values i just wanted to i just wanted to be there some place that was stable that wasn't challenged that wasn't inconvenient so we come home and i've titled this message today a place called home thriving faith a place Called home, and as Paul commends them, this is applied to the church, but it's also applied to us individually. And Paul says, in so many words, "Follow me as I follow Christ." There's five things I want to share with you. The first is this place called home, this the church community, is a place that's motivated by godly values. And Paul wrote in verses one through four. He said these words, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we have the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Uh, we're going to show a slide right now of, of uh, how many know what that is? This is an arrow. How many know what this is? What, what are these things called? Fletching, yeah. Does anyone know what they do other than decorate? They guide it so it stays straight. These three little things. Well, absolutely, they make the difference between the arrow hitting the target or just going wherever that particular arrow wants to go. For the church of Jesus Christ, for a place called home, for our lives, there are godly values that guide us and godly values that God will bless. I just spoke with a friend of mine yesterday that is, that is taking a, a church and he was telling me one of the one of the great historic churches in the U.S. and actually uh, around the world. The U.S. has a a different variation of it. But as little as just um, 8 or 10 years ago, they had over 3 million adherents that were members of the church. And they made a decision to depart from God's Word and biblical values. And they, they felt that they could grow the church if they would become politically correct. So they began doing things or ordaining men and women to the ministry that did not qualify from God's words because leadership is so important. As leadership is, so the church goes. And they, they began to, there's a, the results of this is that they are hemorrhaging today and they have just a little over a million people left. They've, had, they've lost almost two-thirds nationwide, three million to one million people. They've departed from the ways and the values of the Lord. And when we do that, we depart from the life-giving spirit and the presence of God. And so Paul, as he began to talk about the values and in your notes this morning, the first thing is this, that that church is dedicated, they relentlessly teach the Word of God. They relentlessly teach the Word of God. Um, A week ago, as uh, I had mentioned, that uh, some of our young adults were leading that class, and uh, Becca Clooney led that class. It was just absolutely uh, just wonderful. And and this past week, uh, my wife and I were down there again. The room was packed out. We had to bring in another table and And it was really neat, and Pastor Daniel, um, typically what's happening, he leads in worship. And then uh, he was teaching from the book of James, and I just, I sat there and I thought, boy, this is so right, this is so right, and all of our rooms are taken up, but it's because we believe in relentlessly teaching the Word of God. The Word of God brings life to us. He also commended them for and said, we modeled for your steadfastness in the face of opposition. And then he said, we came with purity of heart. No error, no trickery, no flattery. And he said, we are dedicated to pleasing God. In other words, what would Jesus do in every situation? I want to show you an acrostic of grace, G-R-A-C-E, what it means, and, and this is it has been this for... Well, 26, 27 years now. And let's let's bring this up. The first is G. It means going with the good news of the gospel. Going with the good news of the gospel. That's what we're about. That's why we do what we do. Uh, And then R is reproducing disciples and multiplying the presence of God. I'm convinced that the only measure of a church is the number of disciples it produces. We want to have as many people as possible in the church and on Sunday mornings, but ultimately what's important is how many disciples that are made by the ministries of a church and multiplying the presence of God wherever we go, whether it's here, whether it's in the outreach in Aberdeen Park, whether whether it's in feeding the homeless, we purpose to multiply and carry the presence of God with us. A is ambassadors for Christ. We are active in our community. And I like to say, if the church doesn't speak for God, who will? Who will? And so God's called us to be active in the community. His ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. C is that Christ is our cornerstone we exalt him in worship. And how many can't wait for the 29th as we've just come together? How about that? I'm going to be here. It's going to be a wonderful night, and we're just going to worship and exalt Jesus Christ. And E is to, we exist to equip families for life and people for ministry. Those are the values that guide what we do at grace, that keep us towards what God has called us to do. The vision that he has requires godly values. The second thing that Paul writes about is it's a church that cares enough to change. A church or an individual that cares enough to change. And he, he wrote this in verses 5 through 8. He said, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we approved proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. I love this about Paul. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And then he says, we became all things to all people to win some. What he, what he said in verses 5 through 8 is this. This is what the original language means. He said, we didn't come to you as the big experts in everything. And the truth of it is even though we have the living powerful eternal word of God those outside of a relationship with God don't care how many understand that They don't They don't care what we know until they know that we care Paul said I didn't come as a big expert I didn't parachute in and with a shoot-em-up mentality. We have all the answers. Y'all are wrong, and we're here to show you right. But he said, we did not come as the expert, but we became what was needed. And God calls the church and me and you and challenges us to have listening heart, a learning mind, listening ears so that we can know and understand and love who God has called us to. The world, the world, the spirit of this age is the enemy of God and his church, but how many know that people are not? How many know there is a difference? Jesus died for men, women, boys, and girls. A church that cares enough to change also experiences what is known as the ongoing conversion of the church so they can win more. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? I, we're, we're saved. What are you talking about? Conversion is not just salvation. It's the ongoing conversion of the church. It means that we're constantly looking and asking the Lord, and we're learning, and we're listening, and we're caring. How can we be more effective in the gospel? It's one of the reasons we're building right now. It's one of the reasons we're doing that, so we can win more for the Lord. Now, St. Patrick, I want to, I've been looking forward to sharing a little bit about the history of St. Patrick. I love history. How about, anyone else like history? Yeah, yeah. So here's the deal. St. Patrick's Day is not... If St. Patrick had his way, it would never meant to be a drunken blowout. I can tell you that, okay? Uh, and a lot of you have worn green. Raise your hand if you wore green today. All right, someone asked me where my green is. It's in my wallet. That's where it is. And a, and a lot of it in the offering plate. So, okay, there you go. Um, but St. Patrick was, the backstory of, of him is that he was raised in, a, in the home of very devout uh, people in in the faith in the, I think it was the 700s in Great Britain. His father is actually a deacon in the local church, and at age 16 he was kidnapped by uh, pirates or barbarians from Ireland. And at 16, you can imagine some of the kids here that are 16, 15. You know, it's just unthinkable. They took him away and basically enforced servitude, slavery. Uh, He was all alone. He had no family, no community, no faith, no church, uh, ill-fed, ill-clothed, in poor health, and no one cared. Just a cruel, harsh life. And he endured that for six years, and at the age of 22, he was able to escape and go back home to Great Britain. Back home. Can you imagine what he felt like to go back home again? But during the time that he was in Ireland, he drew very, very close to the Lord, and the Lord would speak to him. His heart became very tender towards God. After he came home from Great Britain, he had a a vision And sort of like a Macedonian Paul the Apostle Paul had that said, come over and help us. And he felt God calling him to return to Ireland to his captors and to try to win them and evangelize them for the glory of God and for Jesus Christ. So at age 22, he went back to Ireland, and he was commissioned by the church. And he went back to Ireland and, and he would eventually turn Ireland into a Christian nation or country. And they were Celts at that time, and uh, they practiced a Celtic way of religion that worshipped idols, that believed in the sun god, the moon god. They just worshipped um, so many things. Some of it was witchcraft. There were satanic things. And they they had this blend that they blended it all together. But the bottom line is they had no revelation of the God of heaven or the God of the Bible. St. Patrick came back. And it was interesting, he kept a diary. And so You don't find in his diary where he chased all the snakes out of Ireland. That's a legend, okay? How many have heard that, he chased all the snakes? No, that's not true. But he recorded the miracles that God attended him with signs and wonders, and on 33 different occasions he prayed for people who were raised from the dead. How many know that's powerful? But what he did, what he was known for, is that he, as he reached out. He lived among them, and he had the heart to understand and to care and a mind to learn and ears to listen. And people started coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he baptized by the, by the tens and tens and tens of thousands, and they're converted to the Lord. But the churches that he was building, they were not these huge cathedrals, because he decided that what God wanted him to do was to minister to people and they could be long before they had to become a member of the church. How many understand that? Now that doesn't mean they, that they brought their ways and anything went, no, that wasn't it. But he understood how powerful community and love and nurturing and care were. And what came out of that What came out of that is that those who didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they could feel welcome and they could have a safe place. And because they saw that model, they came to the Lord. And so there was a quote that was mentioned. It said this, When the people know that the Christians understand them, they infer that maybe the high God, the high God of heaven also understands them too. Isn't that powerful? That's why Paul said, you are our living epistles known and read of all men. People don't know how much we care until they they don't, they don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. They don't know. They don't care that we can quote the Bible. How many understand that? Is it, quoting the Bible important? I think it is. Is reading God's word, I believe it is. Is relentlessly teaching the word of God important? you Bet your bottom dollar. You bet all the green that you have in your wallet. It's important. But what is equally as important is that we are committed to the ongoing conversion of the church and our own lives so that our lives are compelled and constrained by the love of Jesus Christ so that people will come to a God who loves them and understands right where they live. Church, let's not, be, let's not ever be put off because someone is bound, someone is in shame or guilt because all of us were there at one time, and I would say that most of us are there in some way, shape, or form right now because we're not the church that has it all together. Can someone say amen? Yeah, but we love God. And then he said, about this church that cares enough to change and about we didn't come as the expert, but we became. He said, we became like a nursing mother, send your notes, among you, nurturing, loving, caring, no flattery, no greed, no self-seeking. Our youngest daughter, Cammie, is coming home Wednesday night, 9 o'clock with our youngest granddaughter, Julia, just two months old. And I can't wait to get my hands on her. We've seen her through FaceTime, you know, but not real life, baby, gurgling. Sometimes spitting up, and I say, here, Chris, take her quick. You know, it's like, but I can't wait. Paul said, part of leadership, part of being a place place that we call home in the church and the community is being like a nursing mom. I said to my wife, Chris, yesterday, I, saw it, I called Cammie three times today and, she, and she's not picking up the phone. And she said, babe, when you're a nursing mom, you've got a lot of stuff going on. What she was saying, the baby's taking her attention right now. Gentle with people. Caring. And then he, shared, he said, he talked about his love for them. He said, because we're so deeply affectionate of you, we share not only the gospel, but our lives the word lives there means our souls. They were transparent, vulnerable, open. The third thing that Paul talked about was leadership that exists for the church. He wrote For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom, and glory. It's leadership that exists to bless rather than burden. He wrote to them, he said, when I was among you, he said, we did not take any money from you. He said, we worked hard day and night. He said, although we could have, because it was our right and as an apostle. And so um, for those that use this, that, that um, we shouldn't pay our staff uh, that's not biblical, because later on, he talks about that those who make their living from the gospel. But what he was talking about, he said, I willingly, I worked so that he wouldn't be confused with those who huckstered the gospel, huckstered the god." How many know what a huckster is? Huckster, yeah. They wouldn't huckster the gospel. I remember my dad, when we were kids, we'd go over to... Um, it was called the Gilbertsville Sale. It was near Boyertown, maybe three or four miles away. And and the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania and the Pennsylvania Dutch have this neat thing called the Sale. Some of you have been to some of the big sales. Uh, I, they're just, I mean, it's great. They have all kinds of things for, for sale and auctions are going on and you can buy someone's an, junk or, I mean, antiques or, I mean, you name it. You can buy knockoff CDs and man, the fresh donuts, you name it, and bags of potatoes, and it just goes on and on. But I remember my dad, we'd go, and because money was in short supply in those days, and he always, I don't know, as a kid, it embarrassed me to death. He always had to get money, get buy something, make a deal with somebody. And so he'd go over when as Gilbertsville's sale was winding down, that's when he'd go because he knew that the farmers had produce to sell, and they're willing to sell it at a lesser price. They wanted to get rid of it. Who wants to take home, you have too many potatoes anyway? They'd rather sell it, and so there'd be a basket of potatoes like this. He said, how much? I said, a dollar. I'll give you 50 cents. Or he'd say, I'll take it off your hands for 50 cents. Like, he's doing them a favor, you know. Okay, how about, how about that, ba- that thing of tomatoes? Same thing, you know. So, but this is what my dad would do, and I've seen it more than once. He said, okay. And they go to get a bag and put it in. He said, hold it. He said, he'd say, tip that basket over. And they tip it over. And if they were good people, and then you'd buy from them, the potatoes on top looked like the potatoes on the bottom. If they were hucksters, only the potatoes on top looked good, but all the green sunburned ones would be underneath, and some that had, that had bad spots in them, they'd be underneath. And once he'd see that, he'd say, no, nah, I'm not interested, and he'd walk away. Huckstering the gospel. Paul said, We didn't come to you like that. He said that he went on to say that leadership leads with the end in mind. And the end in mind is that we walk worthy of God and his call and what it means to be the people of God. And on my watch and what God has put in my heart is that grace is that we would walk worthy of the call and what it means to be called the people of God. This is unique, we're different. From this world And on that day, if, on that day, when we stand before the Lord, if, if I'm asked, I'm able to say, I, I hope to say, "Lord, I present you grace assembly of God." So what that means is that leadership leads with the end in mind, not what's expedient. Sometimes that means the heart call. And he said that he said, "I was with you like a father." My dad was tough on me, but he was always there for me. How many had dads like that? Let me see your hands. They were tough on you. You remember them being tough on you, but there for you. Tough on you, but there for you. He said, I was with you like a father. It's like, hold it, Paul. I thought you said you're like a nursing mom. What, what is this? He said, yeah, it was. Is also with you like a dad. Because in the church, we need both. We need that nurturing, that caring, that loving, that grace. But we need spiritual dads. How many understand that? That make the hard call, that make the decisions that, because it's all about. Walking worthy of the call to which we've been called and all about walking in a manner that's worthy of the glory of God. That's what it's about. And so moms love, moms encourage, moms do this, dads are tough. Dads by nature want to make sure that our kids grow up and do the right thing and you know. But the truth of it is in 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 the family that if we can have both moms and dads that are good people, boy what that does to someone that grows up underneath that. And in the church, when we have moms, nursing moms and dads, and they love us both, and leadership that exhibits both qualities, it produces disciples that are so strong in the Lord, and they want to come home. And he said their talk matched, their walk matches the talk. Paul went on to say that you receive receiving God's word for what it really is. Verse 13 said, for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The encouraging thing is that God's word is eternal, it's powerful, it's life-giving. And when we believe the Word of God performs its work in us, I want to encourage you this morning, this is a law of God. There are no exceptions. When we believe God's Word will perform its work inside of us, how good is that? Um, Many of you know that uh, Gary Smith uh, this past week had to travel to Maine to have a funeral for... Um, his best friend from childhood days, Eldon. And just the backstory was that um, was that Gary and Eldon grew up together in Rumford, Maine, and it 's a, uh, a small city, uh, but there 's a lot of logging and farming that goes on a very rural area. And uh, Gary and Eldon grew up together, very close friends. Uh, they went their separate ways. Gary went to uh, university, played some football there, he became an engineer, and they sort of lost track of each other, as that happens sometimes. But just a few years ago, they connected again on Facebook, and um, um, and, Gar- and Eldon then contacted Gary and to uh, tell him that he had a, a, a form of cancer and the diagnosis was not good. And uh, to make a long story shorter... Um, this past January, they were able to connect in person, and Gary led Eldon to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? In his home, he and Nora were there. Eldon realized it was his last journey. Uh, he was going to Maine, and that's where he was going to be. He was going to die in his hometown. He was a member of a... Uh, his family was very large and very well-known in the logging community. So when Eldon died... Uh, the family asked Gary to come up and do the funeral, so Gary said, "Pray for me." So Tuesday night uh, at our board meeting, we prayed for we prayed for Gary, and and I got the text from Gary because I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to hear how it went. And he said this: He said the trip to Maine went very well. The gospel did have free course. Remember, it's the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation, and that's not changed. Eldon had testified to so many before he passed saying that he had gotten saved, and his family was very grateful. The funeral home was standing room only. I did the eulogy and message and presented the message of salvation. The whole crowd bowed their heads when I invited them to pray the prayer Eldon prayed that day and to make it their own personal prayer. I led the prayer and the whole crowd enthusiastically said, Amen, when it was done. And then many told him afterwards they had prayed that prayer to make it personal and that their lives had been touched by it. Someone say, Praise God. The hearts were open. Many of my elementary and high school friends were there. It was a powerful couple of days for me. To God be all the glory. Church, let's continue to relentlessly teach the Word of God, but to receive the Word of God for what it really is. It's just not a sermon. It's just not a Sunday school lesson. It's just not a Bible study. But it works powerfully inside of us. And Gary went on to say that, it, that indeed, he said, the gospel rang out that day. Praise God. And then finally, a church and a people where people call it home. People call it home. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, We're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy." Having a place to thrive, to share our lives, our faith, and our commitment to the Lord. Friends, we all need that. There are no exceptions. Following Jesus, the only way to do it when we have a choice is in community with others. A place called home, a place to thrive. It's a place of hope and nurture and integrity. When God put in our heart to plant grace and one of the guiding values of my life that sometimes make me act like a protective dad, like a dad who has a daughter and there's guys that want to date her. You Come and meet me first. You come through me. so It's just the way it is, family values. But in the household of faith, what God put in my heart was that grace would be this place where no child and teenager and young adult would ever leave the faith because we had become a stone of stumbling, but rather we had been a rock of safety. A shelter in the time of storm. No one could point their finger and say, because of those hypocrites or because their walk did not match their top, that no one would be able to be able to say that. That's a guiding value. That's a hill I'll die on. That's a hill I believe grace will die on. To be a rock rather than a stone of stumbling. I can't tell you what it means when young adults that um, when they're home and they're in church. And they're hanging out in the halls. And sometimes it gets really raucous. They they don't mostly laugh and jump around in my office. That's Pastor Bobby and Pastor Daniel. I mean, it's like I want to say, it's a church. Okay, it's a church, you know, but it's home. It's home. But I get calls and I get texts that say, hey, Pastor Paul, do you have a few minutes? Can you talk with me? What do you think about this? I'm facing this in ministry. What do you think? I can't tell you what that means because they're coming home. Spiritual food, yeah. Friends, yeah. Laundry, I don't know. They're, you know, someone else is doing that. But there's values here that they've said, yes, we've claimed these for our own and we're building our life upon these things. I like to call it, it's a place where we'll leave the lights on for you. You remember the old Motel 6 jingle? We'll leave the lights on for you. I remember driving home through the night to get home, pulling down, pulling in the lane, and the porch lights were on. And I believe with all my heart that the church will grow and continue to grow and indeed is growing around the world that relentlessly teaches the Word of God, that does not come across as the big expert railing against religions it doesn't like, but as a place of hope and safety and nursing mothers and strict dads and relentlessly pursuing the Word of God, I believe that's a place that people will see and and they'll say, we want to be part of that. And those that have left and even left the faith, they'll want to come back to that because this is a place where you can thrive. Praise God. Amen. It's a challenge to us, but I want to encourage us. You've done so many things right. And in the future, to keep on doing what we've been doing, but also to be open to the ongoing conversion of whatever it takes, whatever it means, that all people all people can hear the gospel and have an opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Praise His name. Amen.